The winds of change are blowing, and it's easy to get lost and off track. Hi, I'm Renee Barabo, the practical shaman, Hay House author of Winds of Spirit, and Wind Whistler, and Soul Coat. This is a show for pioneers who want to learn to navigate the world with a chaotic spin awake. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Practical Shaman podcast. It's been a little while since I've been here. I tend to interview authors. I have the weekly The Shaman's Cave with Sandra Ingerman, but we don't interview people. We we have these great conversations back and forth between ourselves, and we laugh a lot. But it's really nice when I get to uh, talk to other people. And today, um, there's somebody that I've been watching on the you know, on the sidelines for many, many years. And we took some of the same training, but I don't think that our paths really ever crossed until today. And with me, I have Carl Greer, PhD, PsyD, is a retired clinical psychologist and Jungian analyst, a businessman and a shamanic practitioner, author and philanthropist, funding over 60 charities and more than 850 past and current Greer Scholars. He has taught at the Young Institute in Chicago, where he has been on staff at the Replodge Center for Counseling and Well-Being. And you're very well respected. And here's his new book, The The Necktie and the Jaguar. It's kind of funny because I think the last person that I interviewed also had the necktie or something in the jaguar. It was um, somebody else who had been a businessman. So that's kind of interesting that businessmen for me, like, you know, they, they look at it as a jaguar, you know, like taming some jaguar. So how how is it that you relate the jaguar to, to business in this country? I uh, grew up in the Midwest, Renee, and uh, kind of traditional Midwestern background and thought that uh, my destiny was going to be to be a businessman. Uh, and I was for a while. I did other things. I was and I wore a necktie, literally. <laughs> and uh, part of me wanted to do something else with my life, didn't know what that was. And that got represented for me by Jaguar Energy, which I ran into as I started to do shamanic work. So I had the juxtaposition of those two worlds. And that's why I titled the book the way I did. Hmm. It's interesting. So many of us wanted to be business people. Like an early vision that I had was that I could be a business person all I wanted. But if somebody asked for the healing, I needed to put the camera down or, you know, the marketing material down or or something like that. So how did that reveal itself to you? I mean, what a what a change of life to go from being a uh, gas station uh, executive to uh, a a psychoanalyst, a Jungian analyst at that. Um, I guess that going down into deep into the gas wells could really bring that out. And then, uh, um, and then finding your way into a shamanic path. As a young uh, uh, man, I uh, felt that it would not serve me to uh, be involved in daydreaming or liberal arts or mythopoetic, what I called it, uh, activity. So I, I wanted to burn that out of my system. And uh, I uh, tried to do that by taking uh, metallurgical engineering in college and then being in business. But I had this part of me that was not really uh, being satisfied. And uh, eventually in my mid-40s, I said, I'm going to try to satisfy that, still keeping my business hat on. But then I became a psychologist, a Jungian analyst. And then at age 60, 
I followed a, a call that I'd had most of my life to explore shamanism. And that was kind of my spiritual home and calling since then. And not 20 some years later, uh, I'm glad that I've done that. So I've had uh, a variety of experiences. And now I feel I fed that part of myself the way it hadn't been fed for many years. And so what are you going to feed the next 20 years with? <laughs> <laughs> well, having uh, survived uh, uh, open heart surgery not so long ago and uh, cancer therapy, <laughs> I, would be, I would be happy to have a, a little less than that. But shooting, shooting for, for that, uh, I'm really involved uh, at this stage in my life, Renee, in trying to give back to people that have had maybe a, a tough uh, break in life. So I've helped uh, a lot of young uh, people from bad neighborhoods get educated in uh, STEM programs so they can make good money. I work with a lot of battered women's groups. I work with uh, homeless groups, uh, vets who come back with PTSD. And uh, for many years, I had my own healing practice, both as a Jungian and as a shamanic healer. So those are all the areas that uh, interest me. Did you combine the two or did I know like I work for a behavioral health company and when I used to bring my wind work, uh, for those of you who don't know, I, I wrote the book Winds of Spirit and I would take my wind whistle into the treatment program over at the addiction and my boss would say, Renee, this is not evidence-based, and yet I'd blow the wind whistle and 75 patients would gather around for a ceremony, and then they're like, well, maybe we need some evidence. So did you keep those two paths separate, or did you combine them into a single practice, or how'd you, how'd you dance those worlds? Well, I had, uh, first I was a clinical, licensed clinical psychologist, and that's what I did for many years, and that was pretty straight clinical psychology. When I became an analyst, I did analytical work. But again, you're working with unconscious, unseen energy, somewhat similar to what we do as a shaman. Then I had my shamanic practice. All of these were somewhat different. Now, the Jungian work and the clinical psychology could be combined. I had a very few number of people I worked with, and I did both uh, the Jungian work and the shamanic work. But for the most part, they were separate practices, but not always. Mm. One time I was working with a, a, somebody who was pretty severely bipolar and and I, I did a little visualization journeys with her and the psychiatrist absolutely tossed a tantrum on the whole idea. And it was it was really unfortunate because there was ways that she was making progress there. But we, we forget, like when I would go into the treatment center and, and shake the, 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 the rattle, it, you know, somebody with a bipolar or um, a schizoaffective, they really would respond like really it would it could trigger them. So, you know, not one for all, but you certainly have a great combination, which is really why I was enjoying going through especially your exercises and, and, and your stories, because so often, you know, we people see people who want to be spiritual you know, but life is everything about life to me is spiritual, mm -hmm. you know, from from understanding yourself working in a gas station to taking your children fishing. And, and I think that you've done a really brilliant job of, of weaving that together. And tell us about your story here. Why? Why the memoir? Why now? Well, thank you for what you said. Uh, I, I started off writing this uh, over the last few years, basically for my uh, kids and grandkids and just some reflections on my life. And uh, uh, 
as I got more into it, I thought, well, maybe I'll include some friends. I'd written a couple of other books where my emphasis was, how do you bring your spirituality into your everyday life? It's kind of like uh, take your yoga off the mat, you know, and, uh, and you know, bring it into, into life. And uh, so I wrote the book for my kids and family and friends. And then I thought, you know, there's some themes in there that affected my life that maybe apply to other people. So at the end of each chapter, I'll, you know, post some questions to the reader, those who want to spend any time doing that. And they can just think about their own life, too. And that's how it came about. Hmm. It's funny. I used to teach at the Bhakti Fest when I was, you know, exploring the wind work. And, you know, I, I, I always would say, yeah, they have me here. I'm the off the mat yoga person. You know, <laughs> that, that this is about like one of the things that I noticed in that yoga movement was everyone was doing poses and still living out of integrity. And and so it seems like in your life you had several pivotal moments where you really had to look at your own integrity and, and look at your own hard decisions and make other choices for yourself. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I didn't have any like a uh, big uh, epiphany or a aha moment. I had little stirrings and yearnings inside of me that had not been met. And I made a lot of changes at the margin that eventually led into bigger changes. Unlike some who burned all their bridges, I kept a lot of my bridges kind of hmm. intact. So I still had a business practice. I still had a psychology practice. I still had a philanthropic practice. I still spent time with my kids and grandkids. But I kind of changed my emphasis. And uh, I did it with, I think, a little bit more grace and elegance as I got more. I was a little less uh, cross and impatient. <laughs> and uh, uh not the person that I wanted to be. Uh, and I've evolved. Uh, I've done some work on myself in this whole process to, to change. And so it's all been part of a, a bigger whole. I've always thought people who go into psychology and get those psychology degrees, it's, you know, that unfinished part of themselves. And when you, when you went from, you know, businessman, were you hoping to help other business people explore deeper parts of themselves or what was your, what was your personal goal at the time? Uh, I would say the, the stated goal was to, uh, to help and be of service, but uh, uh, maybe the unconscious goal was to uh, heal myself, you know, kind of work on myself and as to, uh, you know, what, what would be the, the group of people that I would uh, be working with. I didn't know that at the time. It turned out that I ended up uh, working uh, for a fair amount of time in kind of really tough neighborhoods, bad neighborhoods, poor neighborhoods with people who didn't have access to uh, a lot of private health care and uh, uh, who had pretty severe mental illnesses. So it turned out that that got me uh, really thinking about the needs of a whole lot of people most of whom I didn't grow up with. And that's kind of uh, colored uh, the, the charities that I've been involved with uh, ever since then. So it just kind of uh, uh, evolved as to the kinds of people that I worked with and the kind of work that, I, uh, that I've done. It's kind of interesting because, you know, a lot of times we move towards those circles of, you know, when I was doing shamanic healing, it was like I had had millions of experiences in my life and it seemed like everybody who came along kind of fit into those grooves. And then as a point, and this might be a healing place, but then as a, um, 
as a as a pivotal moment when we really become of service the the work that we expect that we're going to do and the work that we're doing is a whole other ball game did you find that to be true with definitely with that element that you worked with psychology wise i i did and where it was uh kind of interesting uh to me uh as i did the shamanic work and i the deeper Jungian work, I became uh, more and more aware that oftentimes the less that I did got out of the way, but <laughs> to hold space and invite in, and that sounds kind of uh, a little hard for people to understand, but to somehow be congruent myself with these bigger energies, these unseen energies, uh, and then let those energies and whoever I'm working with, you know, my client, uh, interact, and I'm just holding space for it, and maybe being guided as to what to say or what to do, but uh, feeling less responsible to fixing the client or to, to do it. Uh, that was a good part of uh, my growth and my learning to let that happen. And uh, as you can probably uh, appreciate, uh, good things can come from that way of doing things. Way better than you can even imagine. It's like always this or something better. So you wrote this for your um, for your children and your grandchildren, and now where are you hoping it goes? Uh, well, in, in my other two books, uh, uh, I, I kind of hope it goes to those who can benefit from it, and uh, uh, that sounds pretty uh, general. But I believe that we are part of a larger picture, a lot of energies and things kind of in. Uh, God helps those who help themselves. But uh, I think my other books have been in the hands of uh, people who, that, that it's useful that they're there. And I hope this book gets there too. And, and it could be my uh, other audiences, which would be uh, shamans, Jungians, psychologists, but also anybody who's thinking about making changes uh, in their life. Uh, uh, on the surface, they've got you know, good, seemingly good marriages and lots of, you know, nice, uh, you know, kids and uh, make a lot of money and uh, take a lot of vacations, but they're miserable. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I'm just trying to say it's never too late to look at yourself and make changes at the margin that can make you feel a little bit better in this lifetime than you otherwise would. And that requires, in my opinion, you got to connect to these other realms. Uh, I'm sure you have work with people who have had resolutions. I'm going to do this different. I'm going to do that differently. And, uh, but they never can. Uh, so part of themselves wants to do something different, but I believe there's another part that doesn't. And if you can get in touch with that part that doesn't through Jungian work, shamanic work, uh, and get energy and information from that inquiry, uh, that can help you make changes that heretofore you've not been able to make. So that's kind of what I'm about in the books that I've written. That's what my goal was. And this book is just uh, another, using some of my experiences as, as examples. Hopefully it'll get a few people or hopefully more than that to think about their lives and reflect on them and maybe make changes that they otherwise wouldn't have made. That brings me to an interesting thought that recently I've noticed that a lot a lot of people with a lot of uh, mental health disorders 
have been being more and more attracted to shamanic teachers and shamanic groups and things like that. So how how do you suggest that people know the difference between when you need the Jungian psychologist and when you need a journey to the underworld? Is there a distinction that you found over the years that's really helpful for determining, okay, this I'm going to put my psychology hat on, I'm going to put my shaman hat on? I think in both cases, uh, you're trying to have the ego consciousness that thinks it knows everything get exposed to another source of energy. And be it a Jungian, uh, might call it the personal unconscious or the collective unconscious. And a, a shaman may say it's the transpersonal realms, including nature. Uh, I think they're, they're similar. Uh, uh, I, I kind of relate in some ways to the, the way I think about it shamanically, uh, because it, uh, it's got a certain aliveness to it. Uh, but but certainly the collective unconscious in Jungian's uh, uh, you know work in is is very similar. And if you start back from your uh, creative your creation myth, if you if you try to ask how did it all come about, where do we come from? My own personal experiences in that realm have been uh, having been to this place. Uh, I call it the quiet, the place uh, before creation, before the Big Bang. You know that has just pure potential. Uh, there's no idea there. There's no form of the idea. There's no energization of the idea. And from this place of potential, we are here now talking, you and I. And uh, shamans believe, as you all know, that we uh, still coexist with this place of pure potential every moment. And it's possible for us to interact with that and cause things to happen in this reality that you and I are in right now that otherwise wouldn't had we not interacted with it. How you interact with it is kind of a uh, uh, sort of interesting uh, thing. Different people have different ways of uh, connecting to it. You mentioned, you know, shamanic journey or uh, uh, active imagination in Jungian work or dialogue, you know, conversing with or spending time in nature and, and starting to uh, uh, understand that nature is observing us just like uh, uh, we're observing her. And then having a relationship uh, with those observations. So I think as you change the way in which you think about your life and work with your life, then things become richer. And, you know, to your question, at that point, uh, the oneness between Jungians and, you know, shamans becomes, it disappears. Hmm. Yeah, I remember once a friend of mine in Mexico telling me that in her village, if there was somebody who was having, you know, a manic episode and they took off all their clothes and jumped into the the fountain in the mainstream, you know, they would, somebody would come there, wrap them with a blanket and take them home, you know, and in our Western, more Western ideas, we like wrap them in a, you know, an ambulance and cart them off for, you know, 5150. And so I do believe that we're we're coming to that place of intersection. I know it's not in your book. And and this really is a really interesting book, for, especially for you. And I'm going to share this on my main wall, too, because what I do really like about there is, like, 
you know, people don't read so much anymore. And so if you look for the little gray sections, you you get a good summation about, well, was that chapter even good for me? And, you know, was he looking at and what's he talking about and exercises? And then you can backpedal into the chapter as, you know, it's kind of like a, a backing in approach to uh, at work because we, we're not always ready to dive deep. And you know what? It's not always appropriate to dive deep. Where was I going with that thought? I think that I lost my, my brain here for a minute. And I think that it's a really good book that everyone should pick up. Oh, I know where I was going. What do you think? The, the newest thing is, is I was just looking over at Harvard and I'm putting on a behavioral health conference in 2022. And now everything is the 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 mushrooms the psilocybins the the plant medicines so as a there was a there was a place in your book that I was wondering if you were alluding to that you you drank some medicine here and and that expanded that journey that you had with the rock or if that was just an, your first experience holding a black rock I wasn't you know like the the jaguar stone so what do you think of all the plant medicines being interwoven into psychology at this moment? Uh, well, I've uh, uh, for partaken of uh, plant medicines for a uh, lot of years and, and had very profound experiences with them. Uh, and so I think it could be a way to have a person uh, get in touch with these realms that I was mentioning, this place before creation and, and various manifestations seen and unseen from that. But I've also believe, again, through personal experiences, you can access a lot of those places without the plants. And the plants in the wrong hands could be not good. Uh, the, the, the leaders of a, of a group, if they're not really able to hold the space and understand all the energies that they're you know, going to be coming up with, uh, it can really be dangerous, not only for them, but for the, the people involved, in my opinion. And uh, to a question you were saying, uh, Earlier, what do you do with a manic person or a bipolar person that has upsurges from the unconscious that, that overcome them? Uh, you have to be very, very careful, in my opinion, to not enable those things to come up uh, without some ways to control them. And uh, you know, in, in psychology, and I would say good shamans that I know, they realize you have to have a pretty strong ego to confront all these images that are so other uh, that could come up with plants or from a journey. Uh, and, and so uh, there's this titration of uh, how much do you want to let come in? And some people, once it comes in, they get flooded and they can't really get back out of it. Uh, or there's some people that are so tight that they never let anything come in from this side and then they lose the richness of, of it. So it, it's a real uh, balancing act. But I think you have to be very, very careful if you've got uh, uh, some diagnoses as to uh, uh, when you do the plants under what circumstances. Uh, having said that, uh, I know some things like depression, you know, people have had great you know, results from. People who are uh, close to dying, uh, they become much more at peace sometimes having a LSD, a mushroom or ayahuasca experience. Uh, so... I would say, in my opinion, there's a place for that, but you have to be uh, not casual about it and be pretty intentional about how you do it. 
And I absolutely agree. In fact, one of the conversations that I want to have at the conference is with somebody like you, a shaman with a clinical background, a psychiatrist, and, you know, to really have that conversation, like, can you take the ritual out of the medications that we're now introducing to people? Or, you know, is it is it even possible? And, and I thought, oh, maybe he'd be great for this conference. So we'll, we'll, we'll have to stay in touch with this. Um, what else? Give us like one final thought that you'd like people to really know about your book, why they would pick it up, who they would buy a copy for. Like, you know, you said people going through changes, but you feel like it's written for more men, for women or I mean. I, ho I hope uh, it resonates with I mean, I'm a guy. So a guy wrote it. But I hope it, women can relate to themes because I talk about, you know, my relationship to my parents and my sibling and my kids. And, you know, so a lot of us can relate to those kinds of things, you know, with a job, uh, with competition, with being a leader versus a follower, with kind of personal traits. How how impatient are we? How much uh, are we cranky? You know, how much uh, are we uh, demanding of others? How much do we sacrifice ourselves? So there's a lot of themes that that uh, I think go, go to men and women. And, uh, and I think old, old and young. So I, I don't think there's a particular uh, audience out there that I can think of. And some of the people that have gotten it already uh, and, and commented to me about it, across, uh, they go across all those age groups and men and women and, and all kinds of different occupations. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. Just a short word or two about your earlier book about changing your story to change your life. and yes. And then you have a workbook that goes with it as well. Well, this, I don't have a workbook that goes with it. I have another book called Change the Story of Your Health. Because oh, after okay. my first book, I got a lot of kind of uh, inquiries about uh, people that had health issues. Mm -hmm. And uh, what can we do, you know, shamanically and Jungian to kind of address our health issues? And so I wrote a book about that. And uh, uh, but those two books were. Uh, uh, involved with this idea that uh, we all live a, a life about which a story can be told. And sometimes that uh, uh, we inherit a story from our parents or our culture or our teachers. And to kind of become our own person, sometimes we need to be able to write our own story. And it's hard. So the starting point is what has been your story? And do you want to change it? And if you want to change it, why can't you? And, uh, and then address those issues. And uh, sometimes you say, well, it's just a question of will. I'll just make myself change it. And then that gets back to what we talked about earlier. I mean, there's a part of you that doesn't want to change, that you don't even recognize. And then can you get in touch with that and work with it so the change is possible? So that's what my first two books are about, both in health or about just in relationships, psychology, jobs, giving back, relationship to a higher power. Uh, we look at all those chapters in our lives and see and we do it more elegantly in the time we have left than we've been doing it. Absolutely. And um, what's your website so people could go over there and, and learn more about you? Uh, CarlGreer.com. And that's G-R-E-E-R -E -E for those looking yes. for him. And yes. leave us with one final thought. You, I, I hear like... When you talk, I almost hear like no difference between Jungian psychology and shamanism. And, you know, was Jung a, was Jung a, a shaman? Uh, 
he he this gets all you know the definitional things uh he he certainly believed in working with the unseen worlds as shamans do now how he did it was similar i mean he would draw and he would sculpt and he would try to relate to them in 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 right brain ways not just always kind of you know with the with the left brain and uh, so in that sense and, and he believed in the power of nature you know he he got transfigured uh, on you know beautiful sunset or, you know, a mountain in Africa or, you know, a cloud. Uh, so he appreciated the power of nature. He appreciated the power of the unseen worlds. Uh, he appreciated that it is possible to change. Not always easy, but it's possible. And we in spirit have to co-create that change. Absolutely. And so so I, I don't know um, if in the Jungian approach, when I was writing Winds of Spirits, I went up to um, uh, that school up there in Pacifica. Mm -hmm. And I, I was thinking about taking the mythology because really the wind was there at the creation and, and Winds of Spirits all about, you know, how to manifest um, energy into form through through the wind, which has been here since the get go. And, you know, he assured me that he was going to take me three or four years off my journey of writing my book although he would allow it to have been my thesis. So mm. I didn't go get that education, and, but I did spend seven years writing the book, which is kind of, it, it kind of goes back to the mythology of the stories that people kept that have long, long lived into, you know, into our culture. But these, you know, these wind gods and goddesses have, really um breathed the life into all of our all of our mystery for since the get-go your book is um is interesting i wrote a memoir when i was first starting which was really my story first time it was about me the next time it was about them and the next time it was like nobody was to blame and it was all good but one day i'll it, you're inspiring me to go back and write my book but so all of you listeners at home, I really recommend the, the necktie and the jaguar. And because I believe you have healed and I believe that there's a softness here that only comes from when somebody's walked their walk and done their done their healing. And to be able to go back and look at, you know, everything from the gas station attendant to, you know, the the family relationships that may or may not be working anymore, that takes a lot of courage. And to be able to come through the other side of it and still be philanthropic and work with people is is really of high esteem. So on that, leave us with one final thought today. Uh, one thing that I, I've learned and appreciated that I could just maybe talk about with readers, and that is uh, uh, become a good listener. You know, to the things around you, to the people around you. Uh, Listen, 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 then respond and not try to fix people's issues. Don't try to analyze them. Just listen. Be a good listener. I call that sacred listening. And I, I would say if you can develop that practice, that can be a very important part in your spiritual quiver. Awesome. And, and what chapter is, can we find that in here too on the sacred listening? Uh, no, but I talk about it in my own life as a, as a learning, which I would, I wish I would have been better at that earlier. 
Absolutely. I know. I, there's a like a hubbub in a group on Facebook right now because people are feeling unheard and, and not listened to and or thinking that they're, you know, especially we so now we're in such a culture and time where that you're getting a text. How do you listen to a text and get any of the correct information out of it or pick up the phone? Well, you're, you're, I think, a lot younger than I, but we, we come from a generation that uh, uh, phone calls are very powerful compared to a, a text. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Carl, for being here with us today. And uh, go over to carlgreer.com and, and his first book. Really, a lot of people that I knew were really talking about it and doing workshops around it. And so there's a lot of information, a lot of good food for thought. So thank you for being with us today. Thanks, Renee. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed talking to you.